Amen. Good morning. We're going to start a new series today. We're going to be reading through 1 John. It's near the back of your Bible, kind of just before Revelation. And we're going to spend 10 weeks in this little book. And I'm just going to spoil the whole thing for you right now. I'm going to tell you what every 10 weeks is going to be about. Are you ready? John is going to show us this vital shift that we need to make as believers who are maturing from wanting black and white rules to guide our lives to allowing kingdom principles to guide our lives. And it won't be about abandoning one for the other. It will be about learning a greater perspective that teaches us how to prioritize these things. Get this, at the time John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he was likely one of the last people still alive who witnessed Jesus' life and death. Peter and Paul were dead. Signs point to John being very old himself. And he's not just old. We're going to see how he has matured and how near the end of his life, he's learned how we can so easily misunderstand what matters most about our spirituality. We recently studied through James and 1 Peter before our Lent series, and now adding 1 John, we're going to see this arc that these three books have taken us on come together. James was written to the very first followers. These were brand new Christians at the beginning of a brand new religion. So James starts them all out with what it means to follow Jesus. It was like James had all these young children, all these little baby believers. You've got to have a lot of rules for someone who is immature. Things need to be very black and white for a young child. And then we studied through 1 Peter, and Peter, Peter narrowed the scope to identity. He prioritized identity. And we learned through Peter that if we can start with our identity in Christ, we can build a faith on that foundation that matures as it ages. And now we find ourselves with these words from John near the end of his own life. He's narrowed the list of what it means to follow Jesus down to the essentials. Getting older will do that to you if you let it. You just start to see that a lot of what you thought mattered more than anything may not matter quite as much. The rich stuff the things you learn you want to prioritize, those things start to rise to the surface a bit more clearly as we get older. Not that that means all the other stuff doesn't matter. We just see the shift begin to take place. I see that happening in my life. I see that happening in my faith. And that's where we find John when he's writing this. And that makes me want to listen to him. John has a really unique way of writing. He writes this letter in cycles with a lot of repetition of ideas. And because of that, we're going to go through this book in a unique way. We won't go through it linearly like we typically study books in the Bible. We're going to group together the text by subject, which will help give us great perspective on these things that John has to say. And he uses these beautiful contrasting ideas throughout this letter. Light and darkness life and death, truth and lies, love and hate. And that makes sense to me because as I've studied John, I've found he's a pretty contrasting figure himself. We are first introduced to John in any of the four Gospels when they record the calling of the 12 disciples. John and his brother James 
are the sons of Zebedee, and they are among the twelve. And Mark's gospel refers to these sons of Zebedee by a nickname that Jesus gave them. Jesus called these brothers the sons of thunder. What a cool nickname! Thomas had to have been like, um, guys, I, I feel like my nickname is, is, is really bad compared to this. Like, Sons of Thunder sounds a lot cooler than Doubting Thomas. Well, you don't get a nickname like Sons of Thunder for being cool, I'm afraid to say. In fact, the amount of embarrassing encounters that John has with Jesus and with others will make you cringe. It seems like when John began his faith journey and had just started following Jesus, he was always misunderstanding the essence of what Jesus was trying to teach him. John and his brother were known for being rough guys. These sons of thunder, they would not back away from a confrontation. They were probably out looking for one. They were really aggressive and kind of insensitive. They saw things clearly and quickly, and they did not need to be asked for their opinion when they had one. Luke chapter 9 records a handful of these cringy moments. On one occasion, Jesus and the disciples had just visited a village in Samaria, and none of the people there accepted Jesus' message. And as they're leaving, John is like, so Jesus, do you want me to like call down fire to rain down and consume all these people in their village? No, dude, pump the brakes. Another time, John was like, well, Jesus, there was this guy over here casting out demons in your name. I don't even know him, so I rebuked him. Jesus is like, John, don't do that. Anyone who isn't against us is for us, man. You need to chill. Like, my Jesus sounds a lot like me for some reason. I, I don't know. Mark chapter 10 records Jesus talking about his impending death. Like he's going to be betrayed, mocked, spit on, and ultimately killed. And immediately, John and his brother are like, hey, so when that happens, can, um, can I sit on your left and my brother sit on your right when you're in your glory, Jesus, after you die? The Bible says the other ten disciples were indignant at John and his brother. That means really mad. John was probably like, well, it felt like the right time to ask that question. It's weighing on me, so. John just said what he thought without thinking twice. He had passionate thoughts about a lot of things. He was young. He was learning. He had not matured in his faith enough yet to realize the wisdom in prioritizing all these things that he cared about. The maturity and shifting from relying on black and white rules to prioritizing kingdom principles. And without this little adjustment having happened yet for him, he was misunderstanding the essence of Jesus and his message. And I just appreciate that about him. He's human. Don't we all have moments of misunderstanding God? Can you recall something about God or something about God's nature that you misunderstood at one time? I posed this question on social media a few weeks ago. The responses and conversations that post sparked were equally beautiful and totally heartbreaking. It turns out we humans misunderstand a lot about God. And turns out those misunderstandings can be incredibly disruptive to our relationship with God. 
a lot of the responses came from you all. I want to give you a little glimpse into what you said. And I have a feeling you're going to relate to some of these things. One person said, in my younger years, I felt that there were restrictions on God's love that had to be earned. So I never felt like I deserved his love. Someone else said, I grew up with a fear-based theology. Pray the right way. Memorize enough scripture. Obey all the rules. Stay in line or else you're going to get it from God. That one relates to me. I felt that. Someone else said, I still misunderstand that when the Father sees me, he is filled with compassion. Someone else said, I thought God's love was conditional, that almost everything would send me to hell. Gosh. I thought my acceptance and love from God was based on my performance. I can relate to that. I misunderstood God's grace. That led me to trying to be perfect. Then, of course, that led me to being very judgmental of other Christians not behaving the way I did. I grew up thinking God was mad at me for all of my humanity. The white lie, being disrespectful to my parents, my thoughts, and the very flesh I'm wrapped in. I misunderstood forgiveness. So I put up a wall and would not let God or anyone in because of my sins. Church, these things break God's heart. And I'm sure they break your heart too because I'm, I'm certain that you can relate to one or more of those feelings, those misunderstandings. These misunderstandings, they keep us from experiencing the fullness of Christ in our lives. I wonder how John would respond to that question. We are about to find out. When John wrote this, he had lived a lifetime of following Jesus. Literally following him, learning from him, making some mistakes, making some adjustments. John had seen with his own eyes. He had touched with his own hands. As he aged, he didn't just get older. He allowed that to develop wisdom and discernment in him. And it changed who he was and how he followed Jesus and what he realized it meant to truly love other people. And in contrast to who John was at the very beginning of his faith journey, a son of thunder, he became known for something else. John became known as the apostle of love. He became known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now that's a nickname. So while we don't know many more details about John's life, we can conclude that this man has evolved quite a bit by the time he wrote this. He's lived a lot of life, and he's likely nearing the end of his. And it's quite possible he was carrying the weight of being the last guy alive who was actually there when Jesus was on earth. He narrowed the scope of what it means to follow Jesus, and he sees very clearly how he's misunderstood Jesus in the past. So throughout this series, I think we'll find John saying to us, hey, I've learned, some time, I've learned some things in my time with Jesus and in my ripe old age. There are some things that are so easy for us to misunderstand 
it's so important for us to get these essentials right. I don't have much time left. I'm likely the last of my kind around. I've got to get this letter into your hands and into your life if it's the last thing I do. So we find these writings worth the time. We're going to give it for a bunch of Sundays here. Because it's easy for us to misunderstand the things of God, isn't it? Even when we have the best of intentions, it's easy for us to get it wrong. We're just like John. We're human. So let's take a look at how he begins this book. We're just going to get into the intro today. We'll start at 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Here he goes. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Okay, so he starts out by writing to explain to his readers why he is writing, so that they can enjoy fellowship with God. And I think that leads us to something that we typically misunderstand, that the disciples experienced their closest intimacy with God when they were physically with Jesus. If only we could have been around when Jesus was here. Wouldn't faith be so much easier? We could experience physically being with Jesus. We wouldn't have to work so hard at intimacy and our fellowship with God now. That's actually a misunderstanding on our part. The disciples were with Jesus and they were constantly misunderstanding him. Their being physically present with him did not equal the most intimate of fellowship. John even writes that Jesus said this himself one time to Philip. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? This true fellowship that John is talking about was not created by being physically close to the material Jesus. True fellowship was brought about by the work of the Holy Spirit after the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Therefore, we can enter into the same fellowship with God that the apostles could enter. John is saying, don't misunderstand this. The Holy Spirit has come, and fellowship with God is now possible for everyone in a way it never could have been had Jesus stayed with us forever. Now, John does call attention to the fact that he was physically present with Jesus, and he uses these progressing verbs twice in this introduction. We have heard, we have seen, we have touched. We have seen it, we testify to it, and proclaim it. John wants his readers to know he's not just speaking metaphorically. He's saying, I was there. I'm clarifying something that I saw for you. And the more I've reflected on this, and the lifetime of faith that I've walked, the more clearly I see it now. This is the trajectory of maturity as Christians. Increased intimacy with God as we move in closer and closer in fellowship and understanding. Because misunderstanding 
stunts intimacy and fellowship. Don't we see this in our relationships with each other all the time? We can't be in true fellowship with someone we are misunderstanding. We can't be intimately known by someone who is misunderstanding us. The same was true with God and with our relationship with him. When we misunderstand him, our level of fellowship and intimacy with him is disrupted. So important for us to accept John's example, to accept that sometimes we get this stuff wrong. I believe with all of my heart, we are in a dangerous spot when we say we've got it all figured out. Our sons of thunder status is strong if we don't have the humility to respond positively to the greater knowledge and understanding of God that he is always offering to us. Now, if you're new to faith in Jesus, if your journey has only just begun, it's okay to be like the young John we see in the Bible. No one expects you to never misunderstand anything. We don't. John didn't. God doesn't. But believer, if you are older in the faith, if you're like me, and we've had decades of faith journey and knowledge gained, and we still sound like a son of thunder, we've got some work we need to allow the Spirit to do in our lives. God is always offering greater understanding and deeper fellowship to us. And when we've spent most of our lives sitting in a church with other Christians who believe and behave exactly like we do, we are the ones more at risk for misunderstanding the essence of Jesus. When we think, I've got it. I've got it figured out. I'm good. I know this stuff. It's a dangerous place to be and a blatant misunderstanding of the journey that God would like to take you on. We were talking about all of this as a preaching team a few weeks ago. And someone brought up therapy. We're huge fans of therapy around here. We talk about it from the pulpit any chance we get because we want to normalize talking about hard things, much like other really important things that we tend to get a little squirmish talking about at church, like sexuality, like suicide and mental health, like racial tension, like pornography. Parents, if you have a high schooler, get them to prison on Wednesday night. They're going to be having honest conversations about pornography at church. Why we talk about these things here would be really easy for you to misunderstand. Can I just share with you what we're trying to do? With topics like this that are hard to talk about. We're the church. We should be leading the way with this stuff. We have to learn to talk about it with each other, with honesty and authenticity and boldness because there is no cause for fear to talk about these hard things. Our God can hold all the conversations in his hands. And you know why we're going to talk about pornography this Wednesday? Because you know who doesn't think twice to talk about our teens, to talk with our teens about pornography? Literally everybody else in their life. Their friends at school, their friends online, the world wide web, the entirety of the culture that they're surrounded in every day. 
We lead the way on these crucial conversations, church. When we do that, we create space for the work of the Holy Spirit to take place. Transformation, healing, truth, and victory happen. Side note, if you, not, if you have not already visited the art exhibit in the hallway behind you, I invite you to check that out before you leave today. Our young people are leading us in boldly approaching God and each other with their thoughts and feelings on tough topics through their expressions of art that are displayed out there. You, you've got to go see it. What am I talking about? I'm talking about therapy. The preaching team, we were talking about all this, we were talking about therapy, increased fellowship and intimacy in our relationships. And someone shared something really insightful that their therapist had told them. One of our therapists said, you don't come to therapy to solve your relationship problems. You come to therapy to clear the brush away from something about your relationships that has been obscured. That's it. That's what John is going to do for us. He's going to help us clear some things away around these essential parts of our faith that are easy to become obscured by misunderstanding. And we'll begin to see these things more clearly. And we'll experience this progression of our relationship with Jesus. As our misunderstandings decrease, our intimacy and fellowship increases. And if we follow John's example and allow our faith to be on a trajectory of always learning and growing and evolving, we will find that our joy in Christ is more and more complete. John's devotion to Jesus, it used to look like asking for fire to rain down like judgment on people who didn't obey and believe. At the end of John's life, we will hear him say, it's forgiveness that leads us to obey. That inviting Jesus into intimate fellowship, even while we're still making bad choices, that's what actually leads to transformation. That's truer to the essence of the message of Jesus. John's love for people used to be limited to who was in his tribe, who's one of us. If you're not one of us, you should be fearful of God's judgment. At the end of John's life, we will hear him say that real love never ignores people for ideas. We should love others in a way that makes them less fearful of God. That sounds like someone who deeply understands our God and his nature. John used to believe that his access to Jesus should warrant a seat at his right hand in eternal life. At the end of John's life, we will hear him say, access to Jesus is not just about eternity, but about true life-changing fellowship here now as we abide in him. Fellowship with God had deepened for John by the near end of his life. And he wrote this book to deepen our fellowship too, to distill the essence of the message of Jesus, to clear away the misunderstandings that so easily find their way into our hearts and our minds. And that should always look like a journey, something in process, never finished or completed, always evolving and maturing and understanding. And that's who we wanna be here at Pulpit Rock, 
We want to have this refined, focused, centered, foundational faith that we've fought for and worked for and let God work in us. This is why we don't talk about any and everything you can find in the Bible. We are all in on the topics that matter most. And John is going to be all in on three specific topics. Jesus, obedience, and love. I invite you to join us in the coming weeks. I invite you to have the humility to confess that you could grow in understanding. I invite you to not be ashamed to admit that maybe some misunderstandings still exist in your heart now. It's okay. It's part of the unfinishedness of this journey. Those things are in all of us. That's what it means for us to mature, to acknowledge, I have some ways I can grow. Let's take this journey with John and with each other where we will evolve from being known as sons of thunder to being known as apostles of love.